Welcome to the Left of Straight Show, where we talk entertainment, music, books, foodies, and more each week with special guest interviews of interest to the LGBTQ community and our straight allies. Direct from the entertainment capital of Northeast Ohio. Northeast Ohio. Your host, Scott Fullerton, chats with some of your favorite entertainers, celebrities, newsmakers, and behind-the-scenes people across the country and around the world who make it all happen. So sit back, grab your favorite beverage, and let's start talking. Welcome back to the Left of Straight Show, the podcast where we explore and celebrate the voices and achievements of our LGBTQ community and our straight allies. We explore the worlds of entertainment, foodies, books, music, and advocacy. Today, I am very excited to have our first foodie of the season on. Yay! Mr. Tom Smallwood was a fan favorite and excellent baker on season eight of Food Network's Spring Baking Championship, which you know I love. He was done in by goat cheese, which really gets my goat. Not happy about that. But uh, he's also featured in Out Magazine last year's uh, unique Out 100 for his unique bakery business. Tom was a Division I diver back in college, part of a theater fraternity, even plays a little sports ball or dodgeball for the cool kids out there. I followed him last year when... Uh, on Instagram, and when he was on the competition, was able to catch up last month when I caught an Instagram post. So happy we were able to connect and get him on the show. Can't wait to talk about all of his exciting world in baking and life and his journey to hopefully become back in front of the camera very soon. So please welcome to the show for the very first time, the very handsome, the very talented, Mr. Tom Smallwood. Tom, how you doing, boss? Hi, I'm great. Oh my gosh, you did some research. <laughs> I try, I try. That's my fun part of the show. I get to kind of look into everyone. I, I, I almost like a little bit of a stalker. I check the Instagram and I check the Indeed and all the fun stuff. And you've had quite an interesting life. We're going to talk a little bit about all of it. Yeah, I definitely did a, I did a little bit of everything. <laughs> Very cool. Well, I appreciate you calling in tonight from beautiful downtown New York City. Let's start, since it's your first time on the show, with a little bit of background. i like the guests to know. Talk about um, where you came from, what kind of a kid were you growing up, and what eventually got you into the bakery lane here, the pastry lane. Yeah, um, so I'm originally from Sable, Long Island. So anyone that knows the East Coast knows Fire Island. The ferries leave from my hometown. Uh, so at least the gay beaches or the good beaches that you want to go to, the ferries leave from my town. Um, <laughs> so uh, yeah, I was a really athletic kid and an outgoing kid. Um, very comfortable in front of people and around big groups. I've also also I've also also I've also taken a lot of uh, leadership roles ever since I was a little kid. Uh, trying to be captain or uh, head of a group or, um, yeah, just generally speaking all the time and not being able to shut up. I think one time my second grade teacher said, I think Thomas just likes to raise his hand to hear his own voice talk. So that was a great sentiment in Catholic school. Awesome. <laughs> um, 
Yeah, no, so I'm from Long Island. Um, I'm also, I kind of grew up in the food industry a little bit. My grandfather owned a bakery. My uncle owns a bakery. Oh, well, they own delis, but they did all the baking in-house. Uh, so I've always kind of been around food, um, even as a little kid, just working in the deli, like making sandwiches or really just running sandwiches up and like peeling potatoes and cleaning. I think there's some satisfaction of taking something that's raw and then transforming it. And uh, I kind of say it a lot, but I feel like uh, baking or making food for people is the purest form of gift giving because it's with my hands, I use them, I created something, I'm giving it to you and seeing the enjoyment on your face was work was worth all of the work that I put into it. So I don't know, I've always kind of gravitated towards the bakery, I've kind of gravitated towards that um, gratification of the work I do benefiting or uh, impacting someone's life. And I used to wanted to be I wanted to be a pastry chef before I went to college. But my parents said I needed a usable degree. So I went and got a finance degree. I worked in finance for about four years. And then fate would have it that I got laid off. And then I had that quintessential 25-year-old sit down on your couch going, whoa, is me. And right, right. Yeah. Every, I mean, I feel like everyone does it. Exactly. You have to. Everyone's got to have a midlife crisis around 20 to 25. It just yeah. happens. It just happens. <laughs> uh, and then that's when I moved to Paris, went to culinary school, came back, and I've been working in the industry ever since. That is amazing. Uh, I just, I just, uh, I don't understand how you, I've had a good friend of the show, Michael Mott, who's a lyricist and playwright, lives in New York City. His parents owned a deli. Um, he plays piano, you play sports ball. How do you stay thin and live in those things? I went to my cousins that owned a grocery store attached to their house and gained 30 pounds over a summer. Just crazy. You know, um, it's just good food. I don't know. What to, I mean, I'm not going to eat potato salad or, um, or macaroni salad because I know how bad it is for you. But um, hit me with a bacon, egg, and cheese any day of the week and I'm good. I love it. That is awesome. All right, and you also are a proud card-carrying member of our LGBT community, which I absolutely love. We are coming into Pride Month here. Talk to me about when you first came out to yourself, who was maybe the first person you told, and when do you think you found your tribe? Ooh, ooh, that's a great question. Um, I think I kind of came out to myself when I was 16 or 17. Um, I knew I didn't want to come out, even though um, I didn't want to come out of high school because the one person that came out who was much more braver than I was in my grade um, was kind of made fun of Relentless. And I, I had already a target on my back because of my last name. So I just kind of knew I would wait until I could go to college and start anew. Um, Coming out to myself was one thing. Accepting myself was another, which took a, a few more years of uh, self-discovery, self-love, self-appreciation. Um, I found my tribe. I found a part of my tribe, which I'm still very, very good friends with. On my, my diving team in college was a big core group of um, love and support. And and uh, I don't know. They've always been there for me. I, I, even to this day, I can still count on all of them. Uh, and then... I kind of found a new tribe um, when I moved to the city and I started playing in gay sports because I'm a very athletic and competitive person. I found like-minded people and the, um, the Big Apple Rec Sports in New York City is a great way to meet other people 
in completely different industries that you would never cross paths with. And it's a it's maybe a little bit um, more social. Like you, it's hard to meet friends at bars because generally people are kind of looking for hookups or looking to get something. And this is a non-sexual, like neutral ground. Everyone's playing, everyone's enjoying each other playing. And then like you get to have drinks afterwards, but it, it's the camaraderie that you build through a sport which is how I've always gained all of my friends because I've been an athlete since I was like five. So I don't know. Yeah, I think it about, about like, uh, I've been playing dodgeball, oh God, for like nine years. So <laughs> around then, that's when I found my people. I love that. And I love how you how that sports brings together because I mean, we all make that stereotype that in the gay sports, in the sports world, not a lot of gay people participate. Like you said, you've been athletic all your life. The thing that kind of surprised me doing the research, I think I listened to you on another podcast saying you were like 5'7". And I don't know why you give this Michael Phelps 12-foot tall vibe to you or something. I but, am 5'7". Uh, everyone says that they, they think I'm very large. But honestly, everyone on that show that I was on, Spring Breaking Championship, was extremely small comparatively to Diego. <laughs> and Diego is a whole man. So I really <laughs> wanted to be like the hot trade of my season. And then Diego was next to me. I was like. <laughs> I don't know why you gave out the vibe the way you against the baking racks and everything. You just they angled you well, because I thought this is Michael Phelps. He's six foot two. I saw a diver. I thought, well, maybe you're a swimmer. It's like you give off a vibe, my friend. You give off a vibe. I love hey, it. I will take it. I, I mean, if I could, if I could give off the vibe of six two, but still fit on airplanes, then I am a okay. Right, I love that leg room and a badass. Very cool. I'm loving every <laughs> bit of that. And and talk about that diving career. I mean, that has got to be um, a lot of people when you start diving and swimming. That's like all the way to the Olympics, or it's a. Uh, or it just it keeps you in great shape. What was your on-ramp to either staying with it or going against it? Or do you ever think of wish you were back in competitively again? Um, so I dove in high school um, as well as played soccer. And kind of at a at, in sophomore year, it was kind of focus on one sport that you could get into college for or focus on both and not excel in either but be okay. Uh, and diving, I was, I was more gifted in diving. Um, so I focused on diving. And then when I went to college, I went to a D1 school. So it was really just about becoming a better version of myself, which I will say diving in sports in the college atmosphere is really beneficial for, um, keeping you in a, in a, like a routine. Uh, it's so easy to go down that like slippery soap of drinking every night and, partying and doing all the drugs and maybe even flunking out and diving just kept me really structured and keep kept me really focused on um, performing well in my sport as well as achieving all of my academic success because I did pretty well in my uh, grades and um, I don't know I, I don't think it was ever in my cards to pursue it farther than that if I'm 100% honest uh, Ryder what even though it's a D1 it's a very small school um, so it's not like a big 10 D one. If I was in that kind of level and yeah, there's, there's that path because those kids are training, I think maybe 40 more hours than I was. Right. Uh, so yeah, I was just, I lo I loved it. I even did, there's a gay swimming and diving league here in New York city called, um, 
Oh my god. Oh my gosh, I'm blanking. There's a, okay. Anyway, there's a gay swimming and diving league here in New York City, and uh, I started diving with them as well. We went to the IGLA, which is the International Gay uh, League. They do like um, uh, synchronized swimming. They do races. They did diving. I we I went to Seattle. I think that was a, oh gosh, maybe ten years ago. So that was really fun, but uh, not that Olympic path is such a hard turn, and those people are training since they were eight. Right. Well, very cool, though. I love that you're able to take as far as you did. And it is a great discipline. Like you said, once you're any kind of sport is a good discipline. But in something like that, especially, you got to have focus. And uh, when you, you can't afford to be drinking and go off that board half, half a little loopy. That would not be a good thing. No, and that's how you get pain. injured or, or hurt something. Right. Exactly. And it also kind of makes sense to me because a lot of athletes take a financial port or take business classes in college. I have a good friend, Paul Ruggieri, who was an Olympic level athlete in gymnastics, and he did the same thing. Um, then veer off again. He went to nursing. He went to baking. But I was surprised, pharmaceutical and Johnson & Johnson and Wells Fargo, um, what did you learn about yourself doing those jobs that made you like it or hate it? Ooh, um, you know, it was interesting. It was a really, um, I think it was an exercise in, in doing something that I thought I was supposed to do. So I thought I was supposed to go into finance. I thought I was supposed to excel and become this leader in the finance world and kind of go through the steps and become almost like my brother-in-law. My brother-in-law is in finance. Uh, and each step I took, I knew it was even wrong. And I, it wasn't true to myself. Um, and I just, I, I, I liked it for what it, the stat, status that I get, gained, but I didn't care at all about the work. Um, and when I stopped feigning my care for it, it showed. Uh, and then that was when it was time to leave. <laughs> gotcha. And then big step going to Paris. I mean, we're not talking going back to uh, the adult ed <laughs> kitchen classes there. What, uh, how did you uh, get yourself with that impetus? And what was it like when you first got off the plane? Was it like, what am I doing? Or was it like, this is what I'm doing? Um, yeah, I had that. I had that freak out moment. Everyone has a freak out moment when a, a big life change happens. Um, I didn't have that moment until like four months in where I was like watching people on Sunday in New York City at brunch and they're like going to drag queens and they're living their lives. And I was in my seven floor walk up apartment that I had to hold my shower head over my head and I had five minutes of hot water and I shared a toilet with all of the neighbors in the hallway I was like, what am I doing? Um, but then I kind of I, I excelled really, really well in the pastry school just because of my limited experience of self-training and, and watching Food Network for all those years. Um, and it showed in class. Like, I definitely was one of the top performers in class. And I was like, I'm doing this because I this was what I was meant to do. It was what I was meant to do for the whole time I've been on this earth. Um, so, yeah, it was that freak-out moment, of course. But... I mean, go big or go home, and I wasn't going to go home. 
Wow, that is so awesome. What was the scariest time in school? What was what, what you first come across that really challenged you? Um, ooh. Um, you know, we did some... I, sometimes in school, you learn things that you should learn because it's kind of old world. Um, there's like uh, making brioche by hand, which no one does, which is actually like putting the butter into the dough and like slapping it on the table and like really kneading it by hand. Um, or chocolate work. Me and chocolate, I mean, me and chocolate are best friends, but chocolate <laughs> is on me all the time everywhere. Like somehow I just look like that baby covered in peanut butter, you know, like that gif of like the just full, it, that's me and chocolate, especially in school. My apron will be covered and I just look like a hot mess. Um, <laughs> yeah, those were the, the main challenging ones where I was like, I, I'm excelling in everything else. And then these like little fine details and decorating work and fine motor skills of writing were not as well as some of the other people. So that was when I was like, okay, go home to your seventh floor walk up, take some chocolate and figure some how to write and how to like do those little things. So, yeah. What was your most amazing culinary experience in Paris? Ooh. Well, as far as an eater, as far as maybe an eater or as a, uh, a visitor to, as a Parisian, I guess you're local. I mean, I, I had no money when I was in Paris. So I would, <laughs> honestly, I, I ran out of money at like February. I moved there in August. I was eating Donner kebab that was five euro and fries because that's what I could afford. Or sometimes if I wanted to be really classy, I'd get like a three euro bottle of rosé and maybe like a two euro wheel of brie and a one like one euro baguette. And that was my dinner. Um, I will say I, I did this amazing internship after school. Uh, it was in Nugent-Semane at this place called Vibration Gaumont. And it's um, owned and operated by a, a really talented chef named Eric Tevno, who trains these guys, the MOFs, which is like the highest honor you can earn in the pastry world in Paris. He trains them in, in chocolate sculpting. So actually working there was kind of my the biggest highlight. And then uh, getting to add a dessert to the pastry case that was of my own design, like he helped me make it, was really, really cool. I think that was probably my highest. Like, because honestly, I, I had no money to eat. Um, so that was, that was my highest, like, awesome wow factor. I'd still go back to that place every year when I go visit Paris. Uh, and they're just the nicest people in the whole entire world. That is awesome. I love that. And so then you, uh, you get this training, you come back home, you worked at a couple of places. Um, Magnolia Bakery, most people have heard about if they've ever had a cupcake in their life. But, um, what do you think in those early days, what was the most shocking thing in real world baking as opposed to learning it in school? Uh, the size of batches, because like you, you work in at these little KitchenAid mixers. You're like, I'm gonna make myself bread. And I'm like, oh no, I have to make a hundred kilos of um, cookie dough. So it's just really surprising, which is about like four, uh, 45,000 pounds of cookie dough. That's amazing. That's crazy. Oh my goodness. 
Um, and then spring breaking championship happens. How did that come about? Was it something you did on a whim? I mean, you're driven and we're going to talk about that in following this kind of pursuit in television, cooking and everything. But uh, what was the impetus to go on that uh, to begin with? And what was the process like for you? Yeah. So um, during COVID, I think it was, um, yeah, it was during 2020. Uh, they had reached out to me via Instagram, if you could believe. And were like, hey, would you ever be interested in going on Spring Break Championship? I was like, yeah, absolutely. Totally. What's the process? So you had to do an audition tape and you had to first meet with producers and then you had to make a plate of dessert and a cake. And um, the first time around, my, my cake skills weren't still there. I'm, I'm plated dessert was fine. I thought a little bit too much out of the box. And I don't think, and I was an alternate. So I was like, okay, you know what? Being an alternate is still really good. That means I've progressed farther than other people. Uh, they even called me and were like, hey, someone has COVID. Could you be in California tomorrow? And I was like, yes, but you need to know, you need to let me know because I need to go shopping because I have no clothes for this. <laughs> we can't be on television and be a gay and not have a decent outfit, right? Literally. That's... I'm not going to go oh, up man. looking like a bag of potatoes. That's not how <laughs> it's going to happen. So uh, I, I ended up not being used. They used someone in California that was closer because there were still COVID protocols of like um, quarantining in place and stuff like that. So then they reached out again for the next season. I did an audition process a little bit differently. I changed how I presented stuff. I changed everything. And then I got on, which was amazing. Um, it was a really fun process. I liked being on TV. You know, it was a little dangerous after the first episode. Um, and I walked off and I was like, that was fun. Like, I could do this. Like, I would love to do this. Nice. Uh, so it's yeah. nice when you win that first one too. I mean, you got to win under your belt right away. It's got to give you that confidence. Like this is going to be a piece of cake. I got this, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I got. I won episode two. I, I didn't win anything episode one, but I won episode two, which I was caught off guard. But I kind of was like, okay, this. I'm. I'm here. I. I have a seat at the table. All of the everyone is so talented, but to get that early win was like. I was here for a reason, and that's why I'm here. Like, let's put our head down. You could win this if you actually try. So, and then I mean, everyone knows um, Duff, Chef Duff, and oh. everything, and they've learned Nancy. If you're in the food, you know who they are. But um, what did what was unexpected about the judges, and what was probably the most fun thing that happened? Out of camera range, maybe with them. Ooh, I don't know if I'm allowed to actually talk about that. Uh, I will say they <laughs> are generally some of the nicest people I've ever met. Um, like for being a stranger, they were very welcoming. They were very understanding. Uh, we had a quite a, a great rapport, honestly. Um, we would share, swap stories. I talked about my alter ego of my drag queen. Duff talked about something that he did that I'm not going to say. Uh, <laughs> um, Cartier is really, really nice as well. She's just so sweet. Uh, Nancy, definitely. I think Nancy had a soft spot in my heart. It, like I was a little a soft spot in her heart. So when I got eliminated, it was it was rough. Um, but yeah, no, I, they were 
really, really lovely people and I have no bad words or ill will towards them. Well, you brought the personality and they said it as much of just about every, I mean, I'm sure 90% of it's cut out, but uh, everything that made air was how much they were just loving you. And I agree. I mean, I've been a fan from the show from the very beginning. My very first foodie guest ever on this show seven years ago was Andy Shablana and uh, Dwayne Ingraham. Oh my so gosh, like, yeah. I've been a fan of the show from back in the day. And it's just, it's fun to watch the interaction between everybody and just seeing the different personalities that come to play. And you came to play and have that personality in spades. Did you know going into it how you were going to play it? Or is that just your personality all the time? That's my personality the, the whole time. Uh, my friend even was like, you know, I was worried about how they were going to portray you on TV, but you're just yourself. Um, which I actually, I mean, you know, Reddit can be like the deepest, darkest hole on the internet. And someone was like, the first episode was what's with Tom's personality? Why is he like that? He's just acting like that for the camera. And I, sorry, that's just me. <laughs> I loved it, my friend. I enjoyed the entire season and getting up near the end there. And then it's like goat cheese. I hate goat cheese now. You know, it wasn't the goat cheese that tripped me up. It was the, the Riesling Gelee. I, tried a different technique that I haven't tried before, which was stupid. That's like, that's every person that watches Food Network, you watch the TV show and the person goes, I'm going to try something new. And you're like, no, stick to what you know. <laughs> and, and I did that and it didn't pay off because I didn't know what I was doing. That's, I was going to say that. I mean, there is, there is that moment where everyone kind of, I don't know how to say it best, but it's like you say, it's kind of like everyone knows that they're going to push that envelope, but it's pushing it the right way and the right thing. And they have to have some of the experience to back it up, right? Yeah, it was. Uh, yeah, exactly. I, I was saying it to someone, and maybe it was another podcast. It's it, everyone has the same mentality of this is the challenge. This is what I can do. This is what the judges have already seen. So can I show them something different? What can I achieve within this time frame? with also giving the decorating that they need, with also pushing the envelope, with also these all these restrictions. Also, there's probably a twist sub coming up. So there's there's a multitude. And also the judges can see when you phone it in. You're just, they're like, you're, you're better than this. And of course, they never said that to me, thankfully. I mean, well, actually the one episode I almost got eliminated on, but I didn't get eliminated on because I was better than that. <laughs> <laughs> Exactly. Um, now, what you have this fantastic personality in general. You have this drive from being young. What was it when the red light turned on that made you think this is something I want to do farther and, and more into it? What what kind of was that click that made you think this is something that I could really be good at and really want to do? Um, you know, working with the producers, it was it was pretty easy, like talking to them and giving them sound bites that they wanted, um, working with the camera people because they are carrying these heavy equipments and making them laugh and getting them on my side. And even uh, this one camera operator was like, I had wanted to be your camera operator since episode one. And I think she was my episode four. Uh, and she was like, you're like a Disney princess. You like dance around and sing and I love it. So like getting 
the people that already work in the industry kind of on my side and liking working with me, it just kind of fueled, oh, if if they like working with me, then other people like working with me, then I think this is the venue. Like, this is what my personality is suited for, and I just need to figure out how to keep coming back to this. You got to do it, my friend, because you're so good. And you had that little interview a while back with uh, Luke who ended up winning this season. You have a great rapport. Do you see yourself more as um, participating? Would you like to see yourself do more yourself? Or do you like showcasing other people and talking to them and kind of working them through everything? Or is it Honestly, a good mix? Either. I, a mix would be lovely. Um a judge would be fun too. Uh, I, I'm not restrictive at all. I would love to be included in any shape, way, form, fashion, however you say it. <laughs> right, right. I love it. You are made for this, my friend. I got to tell you. Now, talk about some of your other businesses. Um, I want to talk about Sugarwood, which is a fun concept. We'll talk about the concept for a second. And it got you noticed by out. 100, you and uh, one of the founders there, talk about how, who approached who on that and what was your initial thoughts and how's that been? You've been a consulting person for quite a while in that now. Yeah, so uh, my friend Austin Allen, who's best friends with my friend Eduardo, well, best friends. Austin Allen is partnered with my friend Eduardo from Dodgeball. Uh, so that's our connection. And Austin and I hadn't met until um, two summers ago where he was like, hey, you're in the pastry industry. Do you want to like see this business proposal that I have, which was Sugarwood, and it's very infantile status. And I was like, this sounds awesome. I have no money to give you because I am not great with that. So I can help in any way, shape, or form with recipe testing, I, whatever you need, pastry-wise, food-wise, that's my jam. And also, if you need me to help set up your kitchen and make sure it's Department of Health compliant and all that jazz, like, that's my wheelhouse. Let me help you. So he was really keen on that. Um, and then I've been helped. We, it was that meeting and then recipe testing. And then it opened. And Sugarwood, if, for all those who do not know, is a sex positive um, waffle shop that sells kitties and woodies shaped as you can guess. Uh, check them out on Instagram <laughs> at sugarwood.usa, I believe. And... So yeah, it's been going really well. Austin is also one of my close friends now, so we get along very famously. And um, I was just really there to help in any way, shape, or form because it's my friend's dream to have this business, and I have the expertise that could help it make sure everything tastes good. <laughs> it's a fun concept, like I said. And what got the attention about magazine? I mean, Austin's a great marketer, obviously. Did he kind of? go to their attention or do they how do they uh latch on to you guys i think it's because sugarwood does a donation of a, por a portion of the profits each month to the fluid society um so it's really this kind of yes we're fun and yeah it's great and everyone loves to come to an, a, a shop and have a little giggle or whatever but we are giving back to the LGBTQ community in a, in a big way, in what way we can. And there's not many businesses nowadays that are not just profit hungry. There are very little that are actually putting their money where their mouth is and standing up for the LGBTQIA plus community. So I really do applaud Austin for doing that. 
Very true and very, very good on him for that as well. And talk about your current work working at uh, Vanessa's. Talk about how that came to be. I, I scrolled through and looked at the menu and oh my gosh, things look so good. I love um, South of France has got to bring you old home week for school. Talk about how that experience has been. Yeah, so um, I was looking for a new challenge. Um, Vanessa and Mark, who are the owners of the business, they had a wholesale business for about 10 years. So providing some of their very, very classic and really well-executed pastries to a bunch of businesses within the New York region. And this was their first brick and mortar. A friend of mine found the posting and forwarded it to me. I interviewed. They're very lovely people. They're very, very French. Thankfully, I speak French. So it's just <laughs> easy all around. Uh, and, right. you, you know, I, I, it was kind of great because it's very easy in the pastry industry, especially in the chef industry, for owners to kind of take advantage of you and really work you to the bone. Um, and they're not like that. And it's very refreshing that they respect my time off. They respect my time away from the bakery. They still obviously want well-executed desserts, which I do, but they do also respect me as a person. Uh, so that's also just kind of lovely and refreshing to have. <laughs> I bet. Yeah. I mean, that's, and food, food industries and toys. I was my bread and butter for 23 years. I owned restaurants and managed restaurants. And as you said, it can be kind of a challenge for restaurants, for owners and everything. They tend to stay pretty set as long as their restaurant's successful for chefs and people that are talented like you, it's hard to keep good help because you're always looking for a challenge and another opportunity, right? So to, when you find that blend where you kind of mix together, that's kind of a nice, nice atmosphere to be in. Oh, a hundred percent. Very cool. And talk about what are your plans now going forward to see this dream come true and get yourself back out there in front of the camera. Do you have any, I mean, everyone, is creating so much content anymore between TikTok and Instagram and Reels. Um, are you self-teaching yourself this? Are you working with other people? What are your goals and what do you see you know, uh, yourself I, doing in this? I'm kind of hoping that I don't have to become viral to go back on TV because I've already been on TV. Like, I just, you know, I, I will say content creation is honestly a full-time job. So kudos to all the people that actually do it because it's, Video editing is not easy. Doing the content just for content's sake is not easy, especially in baking butter and cream are quite expensive in the grocery stores right now. So kudos to you if you can create content for content just to have. Um, I did already film a pilot. I can't really talk about it as, uh, as a part of the judging panel, which was really fun. So hopefully nice. that pilot gets taken and then hopefully the network likes me enough to keep me on as that position uh if not i have i still made friends i made friends with all of the staff at spring wing championship which i'm still in contact with all the time um i've already been reached out to for a few shows some didn't pan out as far as scheduling con are concerned but um yeah i think i'm just gonna keep creating content that i like that doesn't feel pandering of like i need to have content because it's content I don't, I'm not, I don't want to make a cake and just put, throw the cake away. Like that's not fun. So 
I think I might stick to the old fashioned way and just hope a door opens that I was ready for and keep being me because that's how it ha worked in the first place. And I'm going to hope it happens again. You have it all, man. You have the looks, you have the personality, you have the talent. I mean, that's what it takes to get it ahead in this business. So uh, you find some good representation behind you and you get a couple of lucky breaks, which is what it takes anymore. Um, it's going to happen. So I'm excited for you, my friend. Speaking of like just baking a cake, how do you have the nerves to bake your best friend's wedding cake? I would not want to do that for all the tea in China. What kind of pressure do you put on yourself for that gig? Yeah. So my best friend, Lindsay Weaver, we've been friends since we were 12. And the, the, she always tells the story of how we met is we were, we were in English together, but she was a lot smarter than me. So she sat forward and I was in the back of the class, basically just doodling. And we were on the school bus because we lived really close together. And someone was teasing her about falling in love with someone. I forget who it was. To which I reply, and not having said many words to Lindsay since transferring to that school from Catholic school, I go, Lindsay doesn't like blah, blah, blah. She likes Billy Beck. Everyone knows that. And I sit back down. So that's my first words to her. And we've been friends ever since, since we were 12. Um, you know, it's she's one of those bonds and friendships that are worth kind of taking a risk. And I was like, your wedding gifts are cake. So just tell me what you want and I'll make it. Tell me what you wanted to look like and tell me. And it was actually a great exercise in cake making. Again, that's something I needed to work on. But I was so happy of how it came out. Did I want to murder my dad on the way there because he drives like a maniac? A hundred percent. But the cake got there in one piece. She was in love with it. All the guests loved it. It was all worth all the stress. Um, and I kind of just cherish the friendship that she trusted me with making such a big part of her wedding day. So, yeah. That's amazing. Good on you for that. Could not pay me enough money to do that. Goodness <laughs> gracious. Um, it's been such a pleasure talking to you. I, I just love, I'm, I'm a foodie at heart. I don't have the talent, but I have the wherewithal. I try to, to do, do my little best in the kitchen here. But I think it's so exciting when people find a passion like you found and then really uh, run with it like you've got. So congratulations. Oh, my God. Thank you so much. This was lovely. Thank you so much for this. Oh, no problem. I'm six hours from New York. So we're going to have a dinner and cocktails sometime soon. I try to get there when I can. Yeah, so we'll, please. We'll I live in Hell's Kitchen, which is like the gay, the gayborhood. So there's a bunch of there good food. Go. The theater is right there. So you can see a show. It's perfect. I love it. Um, fantastic. My friend, give all my friends your social media where they can find you and follow you. Yeah. Uh, my social media is Chef Tom underscore pastry on Instagram. And I believe it's the same on Twitter and TikTok. I don't post much on TikTok. I really just scroll for pets, hot guys, and stand-up comedy. I like it. Who's the stand-up comedy you, you follow? Oh my God. Michelle Wolf is kind of one of my favorites. She's that voice is its own thing, but it's hilarious. And I love Ali Wong. Ali Wong can do no wrong. There's a few people in this world that could slap me across the face and <laughs> say a derogatory term to me. And I'd be like, I deserve that. She's one of them. I love it. Yes, she can. She's amazing. I love it. 
My gosh, it's been so much fun. We're gonna have to have you back on again. We may have to have a little cooking segment or something. Yeah, sometime. please. I'll teach you. I'll teach you a basic. There you go. That would be amazing. All right. Well, we're gonna have you on for five questions next week, guys. It's uh, been great talking. Please do me a favor. Follow my friend here, uh, Tom Smallwood. We're gonna see him hopefully judging soon. Hopefully with his own show very soon. Um, from our lips and fingers crossed, guy. Thanks for coming on the show. No, thank you so much. All right, stand the line. Guys, you've been listening to another great interview here on the Left of Straight Show. We'll have some more foodie friends and all sorts of entertainment later this month. Happy Pride Month uh, coming up here, and have a great night. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to the Left of Straight Show. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast distributor and please give us a five-star rating so more listeners can find us. You can follow us on social media and be sure to check out our website, www.leftofstraightradio.com for contests and other news and information. See you next week.